Warning, this podcast will challenge your thinking. Welcome to Business Problems Solved. In this podcast, we help you solve your business problems by providing real examples and practical approaches to make today better than yesterday. Introducing your host, the multi-sector, self-professed, most improved improvement person and qualified business problem solver, Lee Horton. Real people, real stories, real value. This is a series that I have been looking forward to because I have had an amazing opportunity through this podcast to speak to some amazing, amazing guests. Uh, the majority of guests have either got a, a book that they've uh, that they want to um, talk about, or they've got a business that they want to share the value of. But one thing that has been evident through everybody is everybody's experience, or everybody's got different experiences, and everybody's got different value. So I just didn't want the podcast to be accessible and available. Um, to those people who've got a book or a business. I wanted it to be accessible. If anybody's got any value and any story that they want to share that they think other people would benefit from, that's the whole um, remit behind this series, real people, real stories, real value. And we're kicking it off this week with um, with arguably one of the more, um, the rawest, rawest, is that a real word? Rawest conversations that I've ever had. Um, it's a true. Um, it's a true um, testament to the individual that I'm speaking to that they can be so um, honest and candid about the experience over the last twelve months. It is a real story but there is some absolute value that is enclosed. I hope you um, get a lot from this. I nearly said enjoy it, but I'm not sure whether it's a story to enjoy because it is so honest and um, and, and open. But there is some real value um, in this conversation that I share with Lewis Barton, an amazing, amazing individual. Hey, it's Lee. Welcome to Business Problem Solved today. I have the great pleasure of chatting with Lewis Barton. Lewis, how are you? I'm very well. All better for seeing you. Uh, how are you? you? Yeah, I'm very good. Thank you very much. Very right. good. Very good. So polite, aren't you? So polite. But I guess for those people who don't know who Lewis is, who is Lewis? And how has he got to um, to sit in that seat today? What's your journey? Yeah. <laughs> it's uh, a long one, a good one. Um, so I'm Lewis Barton. I'm 33, currently reside in Warrington. Um, I've been invited on this podcast today. Obviously, I've known you for about six, seven years now. Yeah. Um, we worked together in uh, one of our previous employees. Um, and I do have quite a good story. I do apologise, a bit of a car noise behind me. Got this outside. I tried to sum myself, it's a little bit grey today, but yeah. you, know, <laughs> you know, you can't get all the luck in the world, can you? Yeah. Um, yeah, my story is, so, can you hear me okay over that? Yeah. Yeah, so 12 months ago, uh, this, actually this month, actually, I was going through uh, quite a tough time in, in my life. Um, so I started a fight with cancer, um, throat cancer to be a bit more specific. Um, it all started sort of back in May 2020, 
Um, I noticed a, a little lump on the side of my throat. Um, originally, I thought it was a spot. I wasn't somebody at the time that got a lot of spots, but I thought, oh, that's a, that's a weird spot. It didn't have any sort of like redheads on it or anything like that. So I left it a little bit and it got a little bit bigger and bigger and bigger as the weeks went on. Um, and as we all do, Lee, you know, put it off going with doctors, uh, left it a couple more weeks than what I, I should have really. Um, got to the doctors about July. Um, watched through the doctors, got the sense that something wasn't quite right by their body language after she looked at it. So obviously we, we live in this world of COVID at the moment where, you know, everything was done over an e-consult, so done over online. Talked to them about it, sent them a couple of pictures. And when they got there, they said, oh, it's a, a bit bigger than what we thought. Um, and she looked a little bit shocked at, at what it was. So, yeah, sort of didn't put me at ease. Um, waited a couple more weeks to get a, a doctor's appointment at the General Hospital here in Warrington with the a and and Throat Clinic. Um, and then at the end of that conversation, he sort of said to me, um, you know, go back and we'll, we'll get back in touch. So I was like, well, what do we do now? Do I speak to my GP? And the term that they used was, no, you're with us now, which, you know, anyone sort of who's been through this sort of journey, when you hear that, you're like, oh, okay, something sort of serious is is happening with you. Um, at that stage, they say, don't Google your symptoms. I Googled the symptoms. Yeah. <laughs> um Obviously, you know, you've known me for long enough. I'm quite fast at the process of elimination. I eliminated everything in my mind, everything that made logical sense. And the only logical sense was it was it was cancer. Um, there was nothing else really, but it, it, it could have been um, at my age. So, um, well, see, I didn't tell my family at this moment in time. I thought, you know, I didn't want to scare them if it wasn't. Um, but deep down inside, I knew, I knew what it was. So, you know, appointment after appointment after appointment, anxiety started kicking in, not, not so much depression at the time, but it was more like, you know, what's happening next? You know, what, what happens? Um, yeah, it was quite a, quite a lonely time, really, because you can't go and tell somebody that loves you, oh, potentially I've got cancer, because you're going to scare them into sort of what, you know... <laughs> You're going to give them that anxiety of losing a loved one, you know, because we all sort of hear that word and we we, we deem it with the, the unfortunate. Um, so a couple more weeks went on, started struggling at work, started struggling at, at home with you know what was going on, and I couldn't clear my head. I was turning up to work, and you know I've always been quite proud in what I do. Uh, you know, love put, putting a good effort in, love hard work, um, but I just couldn't do it. I was getting in you know, opening them emails and I just couldn't bear to face an email. I couldn't bear to face any sort of news at that moment in time because I was scared of it being bad. And I don't know, I couldn't explain that, you know, man, I can't explain something. I'd start overthinking and, you know, snowball from there. So August the 10th, um, I got a phone call. I'd been for a biopsy at this stage. I got a phone call and they diagnosed it as a branchial cleft cyst at first, which in my mind didn't make sense because a branchial cleft you normally get when you're a kid, you know, it shows up then. So to get it at 33, at 32 at the time, it was a bit of a strange one. So I was like, right, okay. 
Um, but what they said to me is it can turn cancerous if you get them at, at an old stage in life. So I was like, okay, um, didn't put me totally at ease, but it eased me off a little bit. So I went to see the uh, surgeon and they were going to remove it. I went for an ultrasound so they could see, you know, a little bit more in. And the person doing the ultrasound said you should probably send him for a PET CT scan before you start operating because something doesn't look right. So I had like a ball of fluid. Now, a ball of fluid is, is normally a cyst, but inside it was like a, a little hard mass, which was, you know, unbeknown at the time, that was a cancerous tumour that was in one of the lymph nodes. Um, so, yeah, went for my PET CT scan, went for the results. You know, we're talking sort of, you know, middle of September now. So if you think from July where I was adamant, yes, it's cancer, so now it's September and I'm still no clearer. It's quite a long wait. Uh, obviously still not opened up about it, still not properly talked to my family about it at this moment. Um, so went for my results on the PET-CT scan, obviously then world of COVID on my own in the hospital. And yeah, it, it, it lit up like a Christmas tree. And sort of from that moment on, it was definitely, definitely cancer. Um, they ordered me for a, a different biopsy at a different hospital. People who specialise in them sort of biopsies. So I went up to Aintree, which is a, a cancer centre. Yeah. So can I, um, do, do you mind if I interrupt you there? Sorry, Lewis. Sorry. Do you mind if I interrupt you there? Just because I think this this is a point, and, and I don't want to forget this question really. So you've got thank thank you for sharing and, and the honest journey so so far, and we'll we'll get back to the uh, to to the story um, in a second. But this period between um, June, July and September, when it's it's you dealing with it in your own mind, you going to the appointments, the, the level of uncertainty, still going about your business um, as best you can. How was that? Um, it wasn't good, if I'm honest with you. Um, so it came at a strange time because... I'd previously gone back to a, a, an employer in May. So obviously I'd spent a, a, about a year away from that employer. Um, so I was currently on a probationary period. Now, obviously at the, when you're on a, a probationary period at any company, you don't tend to get sick pay. Um, so by August, I'd just totally lost. So uh, not self-control, um, but motivation. You know, it's not that I'd give up. It was just I couldn't focus on anything. And, you know, I started feeling like I was doing a bad job at work. And obviously, when I started feeling like that, that added on to that pressure. So, you know, see the anxiety of waiting for phone calls, waiting for letters, waiting for appointments, waiting for an outcome. I then got sort of anxiety of going into work because I thought I'm, I'm not doing my job, you know, <laughs> the, the actual truth of it was I was doing a, a good job at the time you know um, but I didn't see that in my head um, so I had to sort of protect myself and protect my health uh, so I decided to leave um, it was about the middle of August I left um, just to sort of focus on you know what I, what I need to do really um, at home my home life wasn't good um, I thought I'd give up you know, I couldn't sort of bring myself to do much, if I'm honest with you. Um, you know, it's 
I'm not embarrassed about it anymore. But at the time, I wouldn't let anyone in the house because I hadn't tidied it. Um, it got to a stage, it was about just before I got fully diagnosed, I asked my brother to come around, sort of help me, um, just to sort of get, get, get a clean house, do you know what I mean? Um, and that little thing, you know, was it clean, clean house, clean mind? Um, but yeah, I didn't deal with it very well um, because it was unknown, because I didn't know what to expect. I didn't know, you know, and obviously at the time, without sort of being too like dramatic but you know you're scared of dying and if you don't know whether you're going to live or die within the next sort of 12 months two years it, it plays in your mind sort of every single second of the day really um so yeah, the truth of it is i didn't cope very well okay and then, we, and then we get to the diagnosis where um you find out exactly what it is yeah. um what happened next so, diagnosed in September with throat cancer, and then at the start of October, I I had um, a, it's called a penendoscopy, which is a full-on biopsy. So we put me to sleep, went into the bottom of my throat, took loads of samples, uh, took a couple more scans. Um, but at this stage, now that I knew what it was, it's not relief, and it wasn't pressure. It was like right, okay. I'm back on track. I know what it is. What do we do now? What can I control? And I sat there one day and I just thought, not, not that it, it's work, but I thought, in work, if I didn't know something, I would go and find out. If I can't control the outcome of something, then what can I control to potentially improve that outcome? So I sat on the couch one day and I just thought, you know what? I can't control what's going to happen in two years, but I can control exactly what happens now. How do I do that? What do I do? What sense of purpose have I got at this moment in time? Um, and obviously, I thought back to the last sort of couple of months where I didn't know, I didn't even know what next appointment was. I didn't know what kind of biopsies you had. I didn't know what treatment was available. So I thought, well, if I don't know, there's a lot of other people that know. If I'm going through the journey and I'm experiencing this, I can share this to try and help other people sort of understand what the next sort of thing is. And it wasn't a focus on trying to make people feel positive and think positive and stuff like that. Because that, that moment in time, truth be told, you don't think positive because, you know, you're scared. You know, it's not a positive thing. It's just, right, what is it? What can I control? What can I do? What's the next steps? What do I need to tell my family? About what I'm doing next. So I started doing uh, video logs of what I was doing. And I wanted to not focus on me as a person, but the cancer itself. And obviously, I, I titled it all like sort of the raw truth of cancer. And it wasn't about what I'm doing on a daily basis. Like, I'm not going to Starbucks, I'm not doing this. It's, it's this appointment. Here's the reason for the appointment. And here's what we discussed at that, at that appointment. Um, and I want to sort of touch on that more than sort of the daily life of a cancer patient it was what do you do yeah so that gave me um quite a bit, bit of a lift if i'm honest with you um and then I, I was thinking about it the other day and was, in a really strange way i was kind of looking forward to what is about to come and i started enjoying being on this cancer journey not, not enjoying obviously you know i'd, I'd never wish it upon anyone but I started enjoying sort of 
getting to understand what's going on. I'm there now. There's nothing I can do about it as an outcome, but I can control what's in front of me. So I can start enjoying it, learn what's going on and share it with people and give people that knowledge of, you know, what's going on. Because it's not just cancer patients that's affected. It's, you know, we all know somebody or in our time that will go through this. And if you can reassure them, because you know the process, you know, it helps everyone. So it wasn't just aimed at just people going through the same journey. Um, yeah, Lewis, yeah, yeah. Sorry, yeah. Just, sorry again to just, uh, just interrupt. I just want to pick up on something again. You At the start of your journey, you didn't want to tell anybody. No. And then and then partway through your journey, um, when you've got clarity and you've started to research a little bit more, you've decided that you'd like to tell everybody yeah. about it. What was the, what was the difference? Was it just that purpose around um, there was no information there, so you wanted to share it to help other people? Um, and, and what did your family and friends think of you doing that when you'd kept from them for such a period of time? So, yeah, um, good question. So the reason I started doing it was to share it. Um, obviously, I don't like talking about something that I don't fully understand, you know, and we say, you know, you have confident people. You know, I wouldn't class myself as a fully confident person. I think confidence can come with knowledge, you know. Like I, I said this on a, a post, you know, a few months ago where I can go up and I can talk about my journey or something that I am passionate about or something that I fully understand. I could broadcast that to 30,000 people in a conference room. I couldn't go into a pub and approach four random strangers and just start talking because I'm not that sort of confident person. You know, I, I tend to keep myself to myself in my personal life, but in work, I come across as really confident. So I became confident in my knowledge of what was happening because I was going through it myself. Um, and that's why I did, you know, there's quite a, a period in between my videos because at the time I didn't want to go on to record and give false information. Yeah. So, yeah, it was, I gained the confidence because I gained the knowledge of what was going on. My family didn't approve at first, if I'm honest with you, of me doing videos. Um, but I sort of said, I'm a, I'm a person that likes to do the right thing. You know, and doing the right thing isn't always what people want. You know, it's just what is the right thing to do. And at the time, in my mind, you know, I think of, what I went through in the last three months, doing the right thing was helping other people. Didn't matter what situation I was in, didn't matter, you know, what I felt, but, you know, if I can stop other people feeling like that, it felt like the right thing for me to do. So I had that conversation with my family um, and they, you know, came across and, you know, supported me fully. Um, once I started doing videos, you know, my family started really enjoying it uh, because they got to know um, and you know, was in a weird way, it was me opening up and not having to sit sort of face to face to someone. It was me talking to a camera and being able to express myself to a camera and sit there and think about it without questions coming in, you know, left, right, and centre. Whilst I made sense of it myself, and I suppose in a in a way, it helped me sort of make sense of things as well. Yeah, yeah. No, thank you, thank you for that. Sorry to interrupt. So, yeah, car no, carry no. on the story. So, so where are we up to now? At the point, so you've started, yeah. you started vlogging, you're you're telling and sharing the story, um, yeah. And and then and then what's what's happening with with the cancer? So at this time, I get the pinendoscopy. Uh, 
Um, so this full biopsy now will now tell me at what stage I'm at uh, with the cancer and what it'll help determine what type of treatment plan I have. So when endoscopy comes back, I go in. Um, actually, no, I don't go in. It's a phone call. So I agreed to have all of my appointments through telephone call because um, I couldn't go with anyone anyway. And I didn't touch on this in my last sort of sentence where when I went through that, the results of the PET CT scan, I got told, yes, it's cancer. I was on my own. And I had to go on my own because of COVID. You know, the, the appointment room's right at the back of the hospital. Obviously, I'm not an emotional person, but I did shed a couple of tears at the time walking out. I had to walk through the hospital on my own and I didn't want to feel like that again. You know, if, if I was upset and I didn't want to have to go through that again on my own. So I agreed for it all to be on phone call in the comfort of my own home um, or at the rooms. So got the phone call um, from the surgeon and unfortunately it was a lot more advanced than I originally thought. Um, so the cancer hadn't started in my lymph node or in my throat. It was at the base of my throat and it had spread the two lymph nodes on the side. Now, in old terms, that would class as stage four, which obviously stage four is the very last stage where it's you know, quite serious. But we style it different now. We, we, we do a, a T&M thing, so the tumour nodes and then stastis if it's spread outside the nodes so mine was t2 so my tumor was bigger than two inches the node the n was 2b so two meant it spread to two lymph nodes and the b meant it was on the same side and the, the luckily the n was zero so any it hadn't spread outside the lymph node away from the primary tumor so that was quite a, a really tough day because Obviously, I thought I caught it early. You know, I'm a young, young man. Um, so in my mind, I thought I'm probably stage one, stage two. Just find out that it was at stage four it was quite a quite a blow. Um, you know, I had to tell. The hardest part was telling family. You know, um, so yeah, carried on with my videos. You know, even on the day. Sorry, of- Lewis, just that just that point then about the hardest part was telling the family. Um, yeah. What was how how did you pluck up the courage to, to do it? It wasn't so much plucking up courage again, it was about doing the right thing. You know, I didn't want to. I didn't want to stand there and tell somebody, you know, my cancer is more advanced than what we thought. But I had to, you know, and I can't I'm going you know, again, touch back on the last few months. I've gone through this period of anxiety where I'd, it's the unknown, but so is my friends and family. So the right thing would be to put them at not ease, but let them know exactly what's going on. You know, it'd be wrong of me to sort of go through what I did and then make something else go through that as well. So, you know, it was about doing what was right, not what I wanted to do and not what I had the strength to do. It was about what I needed to do at the time. How did, how, did, how did the family respond? Um, they were upset, obviously quite emotional. Asked a lot of questions. Um, some of the questions I didn't have the answer to, you know, because you know, once you tell somebody, you want to know, right, what's the next steps? What potential outcome is it going to be? And these were all questions that I, I didn't know. The 
because the next stage after that was um, for a team of consultants or oncologists, surgeons, specialists in sort of that particular cancer, uh, we call it a task team. So they get around and like discuss you as a as an individual on what that treatment plan is. And that didn't come for a few weeks. So obviously I had to sort of let the family know that it's going to still going to be another couple of weeks yet until we find out sort of what uh, next steps are. Got you. Got you. No, thank you. Thank you. So we're, carry, carry on the story. Sorry to interrupt you again. That's fine. So my the original uh, plan when I first went after the PET-CT scan was to have surgery. So what we were going to do was uh, do an incision down the side of the neck and take um, a load of tissue out of uh, the lymphatic system. So take a load of lymph nodes out and then mm -hmm. take excess and test it. After the whole biopsy, we decided against that because the mobility rate was quite high. Um, so it had about sort of lifelong lasting effects on, on that. So you lose a lot of the movement in your arm because of it, because you have to go through nerves because of where it was. Um, so we decided on chemo and radiotherapy. Now for throat cancer, um, the treatment plan is quite a short treatment plan. It's six weeks, but it's an intense treatment plan. Um, so it's six weeks. It was, and my particular one was 30 sessions of radiotherapy um, over six weeks and then two sessions of chemo now a lot of chemotherapy um they do it in cycles um so like it might be like an hour or two a day whereas for mine it was 10 hour sessions and high dosages of chemo um so that started my first session was sorry no i'm jumping ahead um so after a load of consultancies, uh, a lot of sort of meetings, a lot of phone calls, um, we went through all the possible side effects that I might face and give me a couple of options. Um, one option that I think was the most important option was to have a feeding tube pitted. Um, so I had a feeding tube pitted through the middle of my stomach um, because the radio burns all your throat and the chemo, you know, it gives you ulcers and stuff like that. Uh, destroys all your saliva glands so you, your mouth becomes quite dry and it could become difficult to eat if you can't eat then i would have had to go into hospital for the duration uh, and probably stay in there a couple of months so i could feed through my nose so i decided to have the feeding tube and i'll touch on that in a, in a little bit of time so yeah 11th of november i had a feed tube fitted and then 17th of november i started on my treatment plan so treatment plan was i had one radio session a day. On the second day, I had my chemo. And then on the fifth week, I had my chemo as well. But we came into a couple of complications uh, in my fifth week around Christmas time because on my second chemo uh, cycle, my body started rejecting everything. So I remember I sat in the chair, having the fluid, having the anti-sickness, as soon as the chemo started going in, my body just went into rejection mode because it realized what it was. So we say the first time you have it, your body accepts it because it doesn't know what it is. The second time your body tries to fight against it. Um, and obviously being young and, and quite healthy, uh, my body decided, no, I'm not having any of this. And I started throwing up all the anti-sickness that had gone into my body. 
Um, so it hit me really hard. A couple of days after, my body started rejecting everything that went into it. So I couldn't even feed myself through a tube. I couldn't intake water because my body would just say, no, I'm not, I'm not taking anything more. And it just started throwing everything up. So I ended up in hospital. I didn't drink or eat for about five days. It's quite malnourished. Um, stubborn me. Left it a bit too long to sort of raise the alarm bells. Uh, but yeah, I ended up in hospital for a week at Christmas. Came home for a couple of days. Went back in um, and then came out New Year's Eve. Um, but it delayed my treatment. So because I was throwing up everything, and I, at the time, my saliva glands started malfunctioning. So I got a lot of phlegm in the bottom of my throat and it was making me gag and making me be sick. I couldn't lie down flat on the radio bed because I'd throw up. Now on the radio, to your throat, you have to have this mask over you um, to keep you in place. I couldn't have a mask on for half an hour from a radio session. So, yeah, um, it delayed it a little bit. So it prolonged it by a week. Right. Wow. Well, a quick question for you, Lewis. Uh, as you just you just paused for an intake of breath. Um, the, at the start of it, you, you, your journey and your story, you said that um, being who you are, you didn't go in and get it checked as soon as you should. And then partway through your journey, then you just said you waited a little bit longer than you should. What's the reasons for that? What what what? What prevented you from, from, from going in? It's not that I'm a major positive person, but it was like, it's okay, I'll, I'll be better. I'll be okay in an hour. I'll be okay in a day. I'll be okay in two days. And then I wasn't okay. I was gradually getting worse. Um, I have a lot of belief in myself, but yeah, I'll get better. I'm strong. I've got the strength to fight it. I'll be okay. And I wasn't okay. So I think I just you know, relied on my, my strength a little bit too much. You got to realise when, you know, times it's time to call it. Yeah. And would you now if there was anything wrong with you, would you still be the same, or no. or not? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. I've learned my lesson. Definitely yeah. learned my lesson. That's what one one hell of a lesson there is. Let's get back to that lesson as well. So, uh, what, carry on the story, please. Yeah. So, treatment plan all finished. Um, if I could explain it and describe it, if you think of the worst hangover you, over you've ever had in your life, times it by 10. And yeah, adding a little bit of fatigue, a little bit of anxiety. Um, yeah, that's how I would, I would explain it. I had a laugh uh, with somebody I was talking to at the time and they asked me, you know, how, how are you doing? And I thought, yeah, I've, I've been worse. And I sat there and I thought, no, I'm not. I've never been <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, obviously, I've not touched on the finance part yet. Um, but, you know, just a slight touch. I, I had no, no income. My rent wasn't being covered. I'd sold my card, sold possessions to pay my rent. Um, don't know, you know, what outcome I'm going to have at the moment. I can't eat, I can't drink. So I've never been worse in my life. Why, why have I just said that? And again, I go back to that. I'm positive. I'll be better. I'll, I'll get better. Um, yeah, I, I laugh about it now. You know, I laughed about it. I think it's, it's quite a funny statement to, for me to say. Um, so, yeah, obviously, touched on August where I'd left my job because obviously you wouldn't, wouldn't be entitled to any sort of sick pay or anything like that. Um, at the time, obviously, I had quite a lot of people in that position 
you know, a lot of people rely on having a manager there. You know, you've got warehousing and transport coming into a peak period. You know, I'm not going to be fit enough and well enough to, to stay there. So, again, the right thing. Um, but I didn't try and claim any benefits um, for three months because I had my own money. Um, you know, I had a bit of savings put away and I thought, you know, I don't know what's going on yet. Do I just go and try and find a job where people don't rely on you too much? You know, people don't rely on you to perform to, to, to get that team through. So it didn't fruition. Um, and then I signed on to Universal Credit in start of November when I knew full what my treatment plan was. Um, now, unfortunately, because of my age, I wasn't entitled to any sort of full help with my rent. So at the time, I had a, a two-bedroom house, um, and they only give you sort of local housing rate for a shared accommodation. So they basically said, well, you can go and live in a, a bedroom and share a house with someone. And at the time, because of my treatment, I was going to be classed as vulnerable and shielding. So I couldn't share a house with, with anybody. Um, and the only way to sort of get around that would be a tip to be awarded, um, which I had put in for, but there was a backlog because a lot of people put in over the COVID period and it took them six months to oh. award it. So my monthly income went from you know quite a substantial amount to £680. And my rent was 650 so, yeah. wow, wow. So, so I, I need I need to ask this now, Lewis. Right. So you're going through the um the all of your treatments. You've just been diagnosed. You 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 don't know what the future holds. Um, and then you are not in a financially stable position. You've got more outgoings than incomings. Um, what what's going on in your head? What what's and you you mentioned the word anxiety and anxious a few times and, and stuff. Just just touch on that briefly for, for me, please. Just to just to trying to get get across that that what what is happening in your head. So there was a, a very very split moment where I thought it's too much. I can't do it. And then I, I was like, well, actually, I can't. I can do it. I've got a decent car set out, but I don't own any finance on. I own it outright. I can go and sell that. You know. I can give up some of my, you know, personal belongings that I've sort of worked hard for over the years. So I, I had a big fancy guitar that I couldn't justify having in my house and not being able to pay my rent. So I sold my laptop, I sold um, my guitar, my amps, my car, um, to try and finance what was going to happen over the next sort of few months and make sure that I've got a, a roof over my head. Um, one of my friends set up a GoFundMe, which raised £2,000 to help me with my rent. And at the, at the time, I was like, no, 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 I didn't want it. You know, it was a bit, bit too much pride. And then I thought, well, actually, I said in one of my videos that you need to accept help when you need it. So I was like, right, okay, yeah, you can do it. Um, it didn't make me feel great at the time, but I, I need it. I did need it. I mean, it, you know, it, it made me quite happy that people were looking out for me in, in that respect um so yeah financially ruined i'm still rebuilding that at this moment in time 
you know, I'm still rebuilding, you know, my, my fitness and my health. Um, but yeah, back to back to the story and, and yeah. post treatment. So I started taking morphine as about middle of December um, to help ease the pain of what was happening. So all the back of my neck was burnt, the front of my neck was burnt. I had big massive ulcers in my throat. My head was banging every day. My arms was, were numb. So I got one of the rare side effects of peripheral neuropathy. So it affected all my nerves um, in my body. So I was getting like numb legs, pins and needles everywhere. So I started taking morphine. Um, but I came off that in May. So I was on morphine for you know a good a good five or six months. Um, so post-treatment, it all just sort of stopped. So I was going to the Clatterbridge Centre every single day for six weeks. And then after that, it just sort of stopped. I didn't really speak to anyone. I had to wait till February to have my first sort of checkup. Um, and that was just to make sure that I'm, I'm coping well after treatment and the side effects aren't too severe. Um, and then it was about March where I went and had the another PET CT scan to check whether the treatment had worked. So I had that, um, and yeah, that weight was the worst weight I've ever experienced in my life. You know, um, yeah, the, that two weeks were the hardest two weeks I've ever ever had. You know, you you wait to find out what what's going to happen. You know, and yeah, it wasn't. It, it was tough. But what did you do in them two weeks, Lewis? I looked for a job. <laughs> I started job hunting. Um, I thought to myself, I kind of go back to this, what I can control, what I can't control. Financially, I couldn't afford not to go to work, but I needed a job where it wasn't pushing me too hard. And I could just sort of, you know, not have to be there all the time and not be on the end of the phone or anything like that. Uh, so yeah, I started looking for a job in them two weeks. Um, I had two interviews. I fluffed one interview, my first one, um, understandably. And then I thought, no, I'm going to smash this second one. Um, so I went for the second one and, and got the job. Um, wow. Yeah, so I went for an interview, got the job, and then entered into remission a week later. Wow. Uh, yeah, so I got the phone call. Um, but actually... I had to chase them up for the outcome because my surgeon had gone off, not my surgeon, my oncologist had gone off um, and they were quite, what's the word, um, quite delayed in giving me the outcome. So I had to chase it up almost every single day. Um, and in the end, I just rang them up and said, listen, all I want is a yes or no. Yes, it's worse. No, it's not. I don't need any more information at this moment. So if it's, you know, even if it's Billy Joe off the street, I don't care. Just get him to ring me and say yes or no. That's that's all. So in the end, one of the nurses rang me and said that treatment seems to have been successful. Um, and that was no sign of cancer in my throat. So that yeah. put me at, at, at good ease. Um, and then I went started work at the on the 5th of May. Oh, wow. Wow. Yeah. What, 
what a uh, 14 months or how, how, uh, what, what 12 months oh, it was. 12 months it's been, yeah. Yeah, yeah. What, what a 12 months. Um, if you could say anything to yourself um, just before it happened, knowing what you know now, what, what advice would you give yourself? I wish I'd have watched my videos right at the beginning. You know, and I think, again, the advice that I've, the, the journey that I try to share with people, I wish that journey was available to me. You know, um, I think I'd have definitely tried to get my finances sorted out a bit sooner. Um, the pit couldn't be helped because of the delay. And obviously, from the moment that I tried to claim that was when I started my treatment, I couldn't try and claim it before that because, you know, at, at the time I wasn't going for anything. Um, so I couldn't really do much, too much about that. Um, but I'd have, I'd have told myself, you know, you're going to get through it. But you can't say that to somebody at the start of a cancer journey because the outcome is... It's not, it's not just down to luck, it is down to medical, but you as a person cannot affect the outcome, what it's going to be, but you can affect the journey. You can affect the journey and what you're going on, and you can sort of prepare yourself for that, and that's what I try to help other people do. So that's the advice I would give myself. Wow, I mean, that would be a perfect way to um, to end the conversation with that with that rallying cry that you've just given then, but, but I don't want to end the conversation there. I want to just talk about you for a little bit longer, actually, if that's all right with you. Um, yeah. What have you What have you learned about yourself in the last twelve months? I always knew I was a strong and resilient person. I'd never been through a tough time before in my life. I'd, outside looking in, people would have thought, "Oh, that's that's quite a tough time." But to me, at the time, I didn't think that this tested me. Full stop. Yeah, um, I think just just me as a person. My strength is probably my strength, and it's probably my biggest strength um, of resilience. You know, not just that. I never see myself as like an inspirational person or a motivational person. You know, I think I've let what I do um, and my actions inspire people, not what I say. Over the last sort of 12 months, a thing that I've said has inspired people. And obviously, I didn't set off to inspire people. I set off to help people. But yeah. a lot of people have messaged me saying they found it quite inspirational. You know, people that I've never met just find the way that I've come across, the way that I've put things across, and sort of that in my hour of need, technically, has, has been quite inspirational to them. Um, and I'm a lot better at networking than what I thought. <laughs> <laughs> a lot better at talking than I thought. Yeah, what's your um, what's the dream for Lewis Barton? Oh, that's a tough question, man. To help more people, to help more people in whatever way or whatever capacity that is, you know, whether it's you know, whether it's what journey they're going through, um, whether I can share my experiences, um, and if they can take any correlation through that, because every journey is different, you know. We, I, I think back to a picture where you've got the two dogs, one's covered in mud and one's only got his paws wet, but with bigger people, bigger and smaller, but it's the same puddle. So you yeah. can go through the same journey, but the outcome in your mind can be a lot different because it affects people in different ways. 
but you know just being able to be there to support people and help people but not even that just help people in any, any aspect really you know i get not i don't want to go down sort of route of like continuous improvement and stuff like that but my passion is improving improving somebody asked me once what am i passionate about and i wrapped my brain and i'll show you who that person was yeah <laughs> um, and it actually took me a week to sort of think about what it was um, you know, I played guitar, I played football, I played competitively on, on the games that I played. I was like, why do I play them? I'm, I'm actually passionate about them because I can go a week without doing it and I'm, I don't like fully miss it. It's because I was trying to improve. I played guitar because I wanted to improve at playing guitar. I played football because I wanted to get better. I played the games and I put hours into practice because I wanted to get better at them. So that's what I'm passionate about. I'm passionate about getting better. If I can help people get better in any way, shape or form, that's what I would want in the future. Yeah, I love that. I love that. What an answer, Lewis. You are you are an extremely inspirational individual. And um and, and and honestly, I just want to thank you for sharing being so honest and candid and open with your story, your journey. Um this series on on the podcast is called Real People, Real Stories, Real Value. And and there's a reason why this episode is the first one in that because I think you sum up those three things. You are completely a real person in, in exactly how you come across. You have had one hell of a, you've got one hell of a story and a journey that you've had just in the last 12 months. Um, and, and, and hopefully through your words, through your actions, through your story, it offers people real value in, um, in, in what they're doing, how, in whatever they're doing, because I think, your lessons and your value that you've shared today is is transferable, not just within a cancer a cancer journey. It's with it within life, um, yeah. life as well. So I just want to I just want to thank you for for sharing that and being so honest um, with that. Um, the the podcast as well. I normally ask um, two more questions. One question: um, What are you having for your tea tonight, Lewis? I am having um, shepherd's pie. So. I'm still on soft food. <laughs> my, I don't, I don't have um, saliva in my throat, so I find it hard to eat like dried food. So I'm having shepherd's pie, which I am cooking. Uh, my partner has gone out to the dentist, so I uh, am on house duties today on my yeah. time off work. So yeah, I'm having shepherd's pie. Wow, wow, and and I guess just just touching on that, um, how has your life changed? Um, from from say 12 13 months ago to now um i feel like i just took a couple of steps back you know not out of choice you know you know i i think i've took a different role um you know i feel like i've, I've been put back a, a few a, a five years you know but but I've got the experience I had five years ago. I've got more experience now. And I've been through a, a hell of a journey to help me with whatever I want to do next. Um, you know, and I look forward to sort of rebuilding myself back to where I, I want to be um, and further. Wow. Wow. And if people want to find out more about you, your journey, your story, um, where's the best place they can go? Where can they, where can they find out about well, you? I am on LinkedIn, uh, Lewis Barton. I also, videos are posted on YouTube. Um, they can be searched under, under Lewis Barton, my cancer journey. 
Um, I didn't push them as much on YouTube. They were just there just to make sure that we stay there for a while. Uh, a lot of it was done through social media, uh, like sort of Facebook and stuff like that. Um, so, yeah, the, the best place to go to make sure that they're easily accessible it would be the YouTube, uh, Lewis Barton, my cancer journey. Wow, amazing, amazing. Honestly, such an inspirational, amazing um, individual. I just want to say thank you so much again, Lewis, for the opportunity to chat with you today, to understand more, and just for your honest and raw, uh, your raw, honest um, um, recalling of your, of your of your last 12 months. It's been an absolute um, uh, pleasure to know you for all the years that have, uh, and yeah. just to see the, the, the courage and, and, and how how you tackled the last 12 months, I think it's just a credit and a testament to you as a person. So, uh, so thank, thanks thank so much, you. Lewis. Yeah, thank you too. Thanks for your time. Speak to you very soon. Thanks for listening to Business Problems Solved. You can contact Lee on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter by searching for Lee Horton, the business problem solver or via visiting www.leehorton.com for more content and to solve your business problems. And remember, saying you know how to do it is not doing it.